You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more. Welcome to another episode of the Hoops Fix podcast with me, your host, Sam Nita, full-time British basketball advocate. And on this week's show, we have something a little bit more reactive, a little bit more timely, um, based on a big announcement that happened uh, very recently. Um, 2K, 2K Foundations announced a big-time investment into the city of Birmingham uh, basketball club, uh, obviously in Birmingham. Um, as part of that investment, they are going to be renovating uh, their sort of main venue uh, in Nichols 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 Sports Centre. Um, which definitely needs a makeover and it's going to have seating put in, it's going to have um, floors redone, it's going to have the lighting redone, it's going to have scoreboards uh, redone and then also an investment into the community programme. So I thought it would be interesting to have uh, Rob Palmer who is the director of the City of Birmingham, director and founder of the City of Birmingham uh, Basketball Club, founded in 2003 and obviously 17 years later still going um, to kind of talk about that investment, what it means for the club uh, and also kind of his story and, and the progression of the club over the years. Obviously they're very notable because in 2015 they formed the partnership with NBA Hall of Famer Hakeem Olajuwon who just so happened uh, to relocate to Birmingham uh, because his one of his uh, children uh, was enrolled at, at the university there and then wanted to get involved with grassroots basketball so it's been an incredibly fruitful partnership uh, for the club and I thought it would be super interesting to kind of dissect it all um, not just the, the 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 investment from 2k and kind of what it's going to mean for the for the program but also the partnership with Hakeem uh, the journey of the club uh, kind of where it started to uh, where it's going to um, and kind of what it's done so yeah it was a super interesting conversation which I think uh, you will take a lot of enjoyment from. As always, before we get into the show, please take two seconds to go and check out our Patreon account, patreon.com forward slash hoopsfix. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash H-O-O-P-S-F-I-X. There you can sign up to give us a monthly uh, or annual contribution of as much or as little as you'd like to help us do the work that we're doing. It doesn't have to be a lot of money, but it does go a long way uh, in funding uh, everything that we're trying to do in terms of growing the British basketball media landscape. So please go and check it out, uh, patreon.com forward slash hoopsfix. Uh, as always, if you watch on YouTube, please leave a comment below. Hello, uh, let me know what you think about what Rob had to say and what they're building uh, in Birmingham. Meanwhile, uh, you can reach out to me on every single social media platform at HoopsFix or if you prefer some one-on-one interaction, if you've got any questions, any thoughts about this that you'd like to go into more depth with, drop me an email, sam at hoopsfix.com. Anyway, that is enough from me. Uh, here is this week's show with Rob Palmer. Rob, welcome to the show. Morning, Sam. Great to be with you. Appreciate the invite. Yeah, obviously, uh, you're another one that's been on my on my list for a little while, but it seemed like a a perfect time to do it now because of this this big announcement uh, that's, that's happened in the last in the last week. Um, you know, essentially, what has been announced is uh, 2K Foundations, which I assume is sort of the charitable arm of of 2K, is going to be uh, working in partnership with the City of Birmingham Rockets to um, pretty much refurbish your entire facility. I mean. <laughs> I guess the, the place to start is like, how did that come about and, and sort of what does it mean for the club? What is going to be the, the sort of the tangible outcomes of the project? Yeah, well, first of all, Sam, it was, um, it's been, a, a, I guess, a surreal six months process, really. Um, just not long after lockdown, we, we, were, we were contacted by the 2K uh, UK arm um, just, just with the so the question would we be interested in our facility you know being renovated and refurbed um i think the same email was sent to the council at the time as it's a, a local authority run center that we nature's that we've played out of since uh 2003 really um so obviously the, the the response back was yes we would be interested and, and a conversation um 
pursued. And what struck us really, myself and, and, and Kirk, right from the outset, um, was the positivity behind the, the 2K guys. So, you know, n- normally we will speak to to people that, that or funders or, or guys that, you know, express interest in doing things and, and there'll be lots of conditions or restrictions in place. But it, it, it appeared like a really simple process um, from their end and um, they were just like really enthusiastic. They'd obviously asked about what the club was about, what we did, what we delivered. Um, they'd done their research on us beforehand. Um, and, and really the, the, the information they gave us was that the, the 2K Foundation, the Global Foundation in the US, um, I'd done a number of renovations over in the States, um, but we're now opening that up to, to a, a global arm, really, or global applications. So we fall, fell, fell under the, or do fall under the European section of that. Um, but there was a real positive vibe about it. They had, they had a real kind of confidence that we've got a good chance of making this happen. Um, so really, the application was completed for us by by the 2K guys. Um, and And... Within two weeks, we got a response that it was looking pretty positive. Wow. Um, yeah. was, go, go on, sorry. No, no, not at all. Um, yes, yeah, so on, the, on the back of that, really, then it, ta- it obviously we finally got the confirmation through, I think we were looking towards the end of July that the funding had been allocated. Um, and then the process for us since then has been negotiating with the City Council. Um, just around the renovation and 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 what bits um, of the sensor would be done when they'd be done, and you can imagine there's other users in the site as well. So there's consultations that have, have had to take place. Um, but um, yes, yeah, so we've had we've had good in, you know good good engaging conversations right from the start with 2K, and then the council have come in, um, you know, and, and and been reasonably supportive in that as well. Certainly on a local level, um, we've always had really strong relationships with the the, the centre manager um there um and and you know it's been a good a, a good process for us because now we've been able to engage with the council on maybe a more strategic level as well so i think that brings other benefits for us moving forward with a little bit of luck i mean yeah like the, to be honest that's actually that feels to me a super quick process you know i kind of i'm involved in my own projects at the moment we're trying to renovate some courts in london and and that has been ongoing from well years actually from when i initially had the first idea um and to hear that that's that's sort of come to life at the start of lockdown and now here you are sort of six months later and it's confirmed and likely to be happening the build is going to start in or going to be finished by early 2021 is that right yeah the planning well believe it or not the the the, the lighting work actually started last monday um that's the biggest thing that everyone said on instagram was like oh no more yellow lights and i know i filmed it i filmed at the center a couple of times and like all my video from there is just bright yellow no matter what i do whatever color correction i do it's just always just so yellow well, if you look at the before and after, um, so the, the lighting is going to be, so it's five rows um, of, of, of new lighting. The the outside lights will be dimmable, so we can kind of make a show court area within that. So middle lights have been put up already there. They're in the process now, I think, the next couple of days of completing the lighting. And, it, and it, you know, it looked that, that, I guess, that orange-yellow haze um, that has been there for 20 years, it, it looks like a different centre already. I must say, I, I was down there last Friday just to have a look um, and see what the progress was like, and it's been um, it's transformed already. So it just it naturally, it's just so exciting for us um, in in being able to transform that and make that a, I guess, a much more user friendly facility for the for the not just the players but the spectating experience as well. You know, there's there's weekends where you'll you'll spend eight or nine hours a day 
inside there and you literally do come out and your eyes are it's an amazing feeling you get outside and you've got some natural light um and obviously from a a, a visual point of view um huge, huge differences so look i mean that 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 was on our hit list when we prioritize things the lighting was really high up there on that list um, what, what is the uh, so so when we talk about this, sort of the actual um, where that money is being invested into? I'm going to go completely from my memory here, but you you've essentially got lighting, uh, new hoops, scoreboards, was it, or yeah, I think it was scoreboards, and then obviously spectator seating, um, sort of the refurb of two training courts. Is like is that essentially sort of branding up the courts and stuff like that? Like kind of what exactly is it going to? Yeah. When you look about what it is now, what's going to change after this investment's been done? Yeah, so f- five major items on the refurb, Sam. The lighting being the first. Um, the existing floor will have a, will, will be sanded and, and, and sealed and, and relined, um, which is which is obviously that that will transform the existing playing courts. But um, and one of the negotiations and one of the slight holdups we've had has been around we're, we're going to have a court stained across the centre of the show court. Um, now that means to do that and, and really make it look special, um, it meant taking out four of the middle badminton courts of the existing courts. Now, obviously, we've had some challenges along the way on that and and, um, and made some compromises. So there's a couple of, of, of rollout mats that we're purchasing, um, you know, to 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 kind of offset the disruption to the to the badminton users, as you can imagine. Um, but the, the stain court will look spectacular across the middle when it's done, and that will be logoed up. The 2K Foundation's logos will be on that, and the club logo will, will hit the centre circle. Um, that's the second item. Um, portable goals, so um, high-spec portable goals that will come out for the show court. Um, he says scoreboard, so it'll be uh, we're, we're looking at some kind of fibre-level scoreboard for that show court. I'd imagine that will be usable on one of the side courts as well, but the 24-second shot clocks, etc., will be attached to the backboard, so it'll all be linked up together. Um, and then the seating um, is, is the fifth area. What is the capacity for the seating? That wasn't in any of the announcements, but do you know roughly you know, how many seats you're looking at? Yeah, so existing, the, 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 we're looking at the moment, we're looking at 10 blocks of, of 24 seats as part of the 2K funding. Now, with the health and safety issues and the, the walkways and the, the bars at the end of, the, of, of each set, that, that gets reduced to 215 on the sets that we're looking at. One of the conversations with the city has been around whether they might match that and, and buy, you know, buy another 10 blocks to go on the opposite side of the court, which would then give you 430 seats. Um, along with the sit-down seats you could have then, you're probably up to around 500. And you finally get a mini arena that the city hasn't had or has been lacking for, for, for such a long time. Um, do you feel confident that you could fill a 500 seat venue? At the moment, no. Um, you know, so that that's why the 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 match the match funding from the city at the moment is an ongoing situate talk, talk really, and, and we've got no, you know, we have no urgency to do that. Um, but you know, I would say on on junior games, we've had junior games where we've had 200 through the doors, as it's been in in, in the past, Sam. So the um, I think the appetite across the city is is there potentially for uh, you know to 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 come in into a to a, a good spectating environment and obviously a, a, a product that, uh, that matches it but um but we, th- we we think in the future with some of the plans that we have in place that um you know that 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 certainly is a realistic aim and goal 
you know, the, the the big question, the obvious question that I think came to a lot of people's minds, it definitely was one of the first ones that came to my mind when I saw the venue, obviously before I knew the spectator numbers, was, was the BBL and whether this is potentially laying the foundations for a potential BBL franchise. Is something is that something that is potentially on your radar at some point in the future? Is it something that you're aspiring to do? Uh, or do you still think, you know, at the moment you want to focus on kind of what you're doing with, with the club and, you know, that's kind of way off? We've... Um... Our priority, Sam, has always been our, our youth development programs. So I think whatever we whatever we did in the future would just make it just it couldn't be at the detriment or the risk of that that program. That's one thing we've always been really clear on. We've had a couple of approaches over the past five years. There's no secret in that, um, and and spoken to potential partners about how that might look, um, and we'll continue to do that. Really, is probably where we're at at the moment. So, is it on the radar? Um, it's always kind of there and around and, and, and talks that we would engage with if it was right for us. Uh, our own plans right now are to try and make that get, get in, get in through to a, a D1 team really on what we've got right now and try and build that organically, that organic growth. Um, you know, and, and if we're in a position where, um, a potential BBL team came along and we can be involved in that or support that in some way, shape or form, then, you know, we are definitely very open to that. How far have those conversations gone with the with the league office? You know, we know the BBL has been pretty open about sort of their own expansion aspirations, and and Birmingham is you know it is the city that is always spoken about as as needing a a franchise. Kind of has the league been receptive to it? Have you had conversations with the league about it? Yeah, the, the league has approached us with a couple of prospective partners in the past, um, and and just for one reason or that that things just didn't transpire or, or, or weren't weren't right at the time to to follow that through. Um, but another league I'm very, very keen on, on a Birmingham franchise. Naturally, again, there's no secret to that. Um, so you know, I think as 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 more opportunities or more potential uh, investors or partners came into the fray, there, you know, that, that they know we're certainly interested in in, in talking with them about the possibilities. When it comes to 2K uh, getting involved, the, the other thing. Outside of the the venue, I noticed in the press release was that um, there's actually funding that's going towards sort of ongoing community work. There's going to be a 2K league. There's going to be community sessions run. Like kind of outside of the the venue stuff, um, what else is going to be happening? Uh, what else is the sort of 2K Foundation's money funding? Yeah. So the the, the one of the, the fabulous thing about 2K was that they really, I think they really valued what the club is doing and had done for for sort of 17 years now. Um, so one of their requests was that some of the funding that they'd aligned to us was put into a community activation program to enhance our community program. And we've got a pretty extensive community program as it stands anyway. We, we, we kind of on average reach 500 kids a week on that program. Um, but I think 2K were keen that more kids got opportunity to, to not just use the facility at Neutrals, but access basketball around the city. So, you know, although we're still putting the, 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 putting the finer details together, the plan would be a, a, a kind of a city-wide schools program labelled up with the 2K branding um, and then a central venue, central venue leagues. Um, so we, what, we, what we're working with the sports centre and the council on now is some extended hours on a weekend to be able to run additional activities. So, you know, you can probably imagine the city, centre, the, the, the city council still closed the site at five on a Saturday generally and, and three on a Sunday. So there's loads of spare time and extra time there that we felt could be utilised effectively. Um, so we're just trying to come to the right the right agreements for both parties there at the moment 
on how that would look. But generally, we'd be looking at some, let's say, central venue leagues based at the centre. Um, but the outreach work to hopefully just get into more, more more basketballers around the city. And would that funding be, you know, based on uh, twelve months, or is it longer than that? We've 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 kind of worked it over a two-year period. So I think one of our plans at the moment would be maybe to engage. Uh, I guess either a a part-time or full-time employee to to oversee that community program and growth. Um, We feel we've got enough in the the tank there for a couple of years initially. Um, But like anything within the organisation, we we, we try and ensure that became self-sustainable over a period of time. But having a little bit of taking the pressure off and and having that, that seed funding to begin with and not feeling the immediate pressure on that just helps you create the the product in the first place really when you talk about the scale of uh the actual sort of size of that investment are you able to share kind of like what that is sort of roughly worth in terms of the investment they're putting into sort of basketball in birmingham you know your program um well it's a uh, the the investment into the facility is a significant amount i would say that so um so you know it's uh that that touches on on just under five figures um the you know the, the the community activation support um not quite to that amount but it's still it's still it's enough for us to to put a significant program together i think it would be fair to say yeah. um over, over that two-year period now obviously covid has potentially just slightly delayed the beginning of the community activation process and we just have to play that by ear a little bit on that but it is you know the, the good thing with with 2k is that they're, they're really leaving it to us as to how we utilize that best for the community um, you know, which is which is fabulous for us. Do you think, like, interestingly, you know, uh, any conversation I've had with um, potential commercial partners, private sponsors um, around the Hoops Six All Star Classic, it's always about London. Uh, they're very much they're very clear about the fact, you know. And I've had conversations with various people about moving outside of London. I've had venues offered to me outside of London, which would make everything a lot cheaper on, on my end. But the sponsors, sponsors um, various different sponsors, I've had conversations with. Basically, like it has to be in London. Like, and if it's in London, we just can't be involved. It's it's such a, a focal part of their strategy. Uh, you know, when I look at two K investing in Birmingham, my first thought is is that because of the Commonwealth Games in 2022 has that played a role in their decision to invest in Birmingham or was it, or was it something completely different it's it's nothing they brought to the table with us to be honest with you Sam um now obviously part of our part of our strategy and thoughts on the uh, maybe on the central venue league maybe, well maybe to align that with a with a uh Commonwealth Games in mind and strategy you know some of that stuff might be three on three leading into the Commonwealth Games just to engage you know engage our communities as much as we can um you know with 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 that big event coming and coming to the city um but it wasn't anything that that 2k had, had brought to the party they were um you know I, i'd imagine that and when they'd done their research they they um they'd seen the work we've done over a period of time you know i'm, I'm sure they've noticed akeem is a, a larger one is, is is linked with the club and there's an nba link there to the to the 2k games um but it, there was nothing specific around around the commonwealth games that they'd uh they brought to the party now Fair enough. Um, you mentioned it there. Let's 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 talk about Hakeem's involvement. Obviously, it was, it was 2015 when he when he first got involved with the club, right? It was, yeah. Yeah, and you know, I think uh, I remember at the time um, it was his daughter that enrolled at the University of Birmingham, right? 
Uh, and there was footage coming out of Birmingham. I was getting sent of him playing one-on-one with kids at university and just kind of all this crazy stuff. And it's like, why he keeps in, in Birmingham? What's, what's going on? Um, can you kind of talk about sort of, uh, I guess, him, him coming over to the UK and how he has ended up being essentially an ambassador um, and part of the, the City of Birmingham Rockets program? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a, a nice story, really. Um, one of our... One of our volunteer coaches, um, his, his wife works at um, an immigration law firm somewhere on, um, out in, uh, I think it's on the Stratford Road, go, go, going out towards, uh, towards Spark Hill Shirley Way. Um, I got a phone call or a message from him on, uh, one day just to say, you'll never believe who's, who's walked through the doors at my wife's workplace. Um, and Akeem had gone in and I think he just said, so look, I, I, used, to play, I used to play basketball in the States. He said, "Oh, my husband's involved with a basketball club." Um, he said, "Oh, that's good because I'm I'm interested in doing some, you know, supporting something or doing something while I'm over here." Um, and so that's how the connection came through to us. Um, his number was sent through. We we, we got in touch, and then um, Kirk, who I mentioned earlier, Kurt Dawes, is is our chair. I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on Kurt's involvement uh, at some time during the conversation. Um, Kirk and I went to meet him, um, and um, it, it was a hotel over in uh, over in Knoll on the edge of Soli Hall and and he just got out he got out of his car and he he got kept getting out of his car and he, he kept getting out of his car um and just the most humble man right from the outset Sam you could wish to meet um you know, he had got so much interest in what we were doing and obviously we you know we, naturally we're, we're we're kind of starstruck as we as we're sitting there having a having a, a coffee and a drink with him um but you know we we he spoke about his kids, and obviously, as you, as you mentioned, his, his, his daughter had come to University of Birmingham. Um, but he got five boys that had never picked a ball up. Um, and he was always very clear on the fact that he wanted it to be their decision to play, not him pushing pushing it into it. He wanted them to get a feel for the game. Um, so, I mean, we did what we always do with 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 the new people that we talked to, really. And it was, look, we can tell you about the club, and we can show you the our social media, we can show you our website, we can talk about what's gone on, but come and see it, come and see it in the flesh. So he, he came down on a, I think it was a Saturday morning to begin with. Um, the, the, the gym is always packed on a Saturday with, with recreational kids on a Saturday morning. So, you know, that, that will vary from 60, 70 kids up to 120. Um, and he was like, wow, okay. And then we said, look, come back again on Monday, bring the boys down. And have another look and, and of course again Monday is one of our, our big practice nights so that the gym is packed again uh, the boys start joining in and playing um, and we never look back from there really he's, he's, he's genuinely grown to love the club um, you know very early on he said look what is it that you'd like to do here and we, we set out a few priorities along the way and he was you know look I'm, I'm I, I'll support you where I can it's, it's not going to be me paying for everything I think there's a, a probably a there's probably a, a misconception that Keen Bank rolls us and and that is far from the truth. But he's always said, look, I help you the little things where I can. Um, and you know, we spoke about the court renovation from a very early time, and you know what what owning our own facility might look like. Um, and we spoke about international summer camps and residential stuff that that, that Birmingham hadn't had for years and years and years um and we spoke about academic you know uh, 
academic support around academies and what we could do around education, as he's very big on on education. Um, and one by one, we tried to address those that kind of priority checklist with him along the along the way. Um, but you know, he's become an integral part of the club, and just to have him there on a Saturday morning on occasions where he used to bring his sons down, and he'll be helping some kid out on the side who's got no idea who he is. He looks just, he's just a parent that's jumped off his seat to show him a few things. I mean, that, um, that, that's like an amazing sight to see, really. Um, he, he's actually moved to the UK and he's fully living here himself now, right? Yeah, absolutely. So he, um, I, think his visa, I think his visa restrictions means that maybe it's sort of six months here and six months in Houston. He's still employed by, by Houston as an ambassador for the Rockets. So he still spends time over there. Um, and he's, he's, he's two of his boys have, in the past 12 months, have, 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 have gone over there and now at school in Houston. Um, but um, as he said quite recently, he came back in, I think it was January time, January, was it January? January February time for a, for a couple of weeks to sort some business out at home. And um, he's not been able to go back since. So he's had, he's had the most of the year, the year over here, um, you know, at, at home here. But it's, he's a wonderful... You know, he really is a wonderful man. There's no edge on him. There's no, you know, it's the most humble guy you could wish to meet. Um, Someone that everybody that uh, you can imagine the amount of parents that that come across him and want photographs and stuff on a on a, a weekly basis at the centre. And, he, and he's just so obliging with them. And and um, so look, our experience with him has just been top draw, Sam. What difference does it make uh, to the club? having uh, an NBA Hall of Fame, an NBA legend um, sort of associated with it, does it give you leverage when you go into meetings, whether it's with the council or whether it's with a potential commercial sponsor? Like kind of when you talk about the club pre-Hakeem and post-Hakeem, um, what's different now compared to before? I think, I think a lot of that is the profiling, Sam. Um, you know, in, in that when we were doing a lot of work. There was a lot of work went on for a long period before Akeem arrived and, and um, that, that sets a lot of the foundations um, for maybe the things that have happened in the last five years since he's arrived. Um, but as you say, having that, having that, that weight maybe to go in with, with potential partners um, probably wasn't there to the extent it is now. So Akeem's very clear. Look, if there's a, if there's a, if there's a meeting, I'll come into the meeting with you with the decision makers um, more than happy to, to spend his time on that with us. Um, and I think he just adds some real gravitas to the story. The, club, the, the club's got a, lo- got a lovely story over a long period of time. Uh, and to have a Hall of Famer come in to that and embrace that, um, I guess, enjoy and love what, what it does and where it's at. And he genuinely does love the club. Um, it's, it's been a real, that's been a real bonus for us. And obviously, you know, you can attract a much we can add a much wider audience to what we're doing just by using his name. Um, so that's that's been a a huge a huge bonus for us, um, and we've been very careful to use him very selectively and carefully as well because I think you know if we we, we don't want we 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 don't want to um, lean on him for more than we need to. We're very conscious of trying to create a long term sustainable club and, and and model, and and we've got a lot closer to doing that now. It really has accelerate some of those things um but just being able to you know to, to have him come along with us for certain meetings and appearances and, he, and he's so generous with his time sam as well um you know the the, the as that's that, that they've been the real major benefits for us um and like i said we have to be careful because i think some people think that 
oh, Akeem's funding you with this and funding you with that. And that's not the case. Um, but we are able to, you know, to, to leverage ourselves into to, to some better positions because of our connections with him. And I assume that the, the rebrand to the Rockets, a part of that was the alignment with, with Akeem, correct? Yeah, that is correct. I mean, for, for where are we going? For, for 16 years, we were the city of Birmingham or COB tagline was kind of where we went with that. And we, but, but we always felt there was something just on the end of that missing. Um, but rebranding gets, the longer you go in one brand, it gets a little more difficult to, now from a personal perspective, you've got an allegiance almost to COB and that brand, um, and then finding the right brand and the right time. And we, we, you know, we, we, we toyed with some ideas based around some Birmingham landmarks and things that around the city. Um, but it just seemed like a, a very natural thing to cement our relationship with Akeem, um, and look at some possibilities of, of, you know, how things in Houston that, that, that we might be able to tap into at some stage in the future, really, with him. Um, you know, so it, 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 was, it was strategically aligned with Houston Rockets, for sure. But it, it just seemed a very natural thing based upon Akeem's attachment with the club. Yeah. Okay, so, so let's, let's uh, kind, of, kind of rewind. Um, you know, I got you to send me through the sort of overview of, of your history and the club's history going, going way back. Um, I mean, it was fascinating for me to kind of go through it and, and sort of learn more about you because obviously, you know, there was the stuff going back to when I was a mere toddler um, and had no idea about it. So y- your involvement with basketball does go way back uh, to kind of, and it's all kind of, I guess, led to a, sort of where you are today. So so I guess to kind of give the the overview, like if you were to kind of give someone the couple minute version of um, of your background leading up to the point of founding City of Birmingham, uh, what would you say? What What is that background that led to that point? Okay, well, so, Sam, so I probably picked a ball up, first of all, when I was maybe 13, 14 years old, as as um, many kids, even today, which which I think is too late, by the way, that's another story. But um, but at that point, within within the school gym, so I think it was a school-based thing. But... But at the same time as that, it coincided. We got um, I got a very close friend um, whose parents went and helped out down at the old at the Bullets at the old Villa Leisure Centre. So on a Saturday night, we started going to to watch the games and stuff. And um, you know, immediately then, really, I was in awe of probably just the whole atmosphere and environment and the excitement. You know, my, my previous experiences in sport had been watching traditional English sports, so football, cricket. Um, but basketball just had a, had a, to me, immediately added just an, an excitement about it, maybe a constant excitement that I didn't think those sports probably bought at the same time. I still love all sports to this day. Um, but I think the constant the constant excitement of basketball was something that I found really appealing. Um, and I'll never forget the first game I went to. I think Bullets were playing um, Sunderland, as it was, in the old Sunderland. Um, and... One of one of Bullets' import players at the time was Butch Hayes, um, and and he, he he just picked a steal up. It was midway for the second half, and he picked this steal up, picked somebody's pocket, and and did this three sixty in in transition, and it was the most amazing sight I think I'd ever seen in a sports arena at that stage. Um, and so from that point, I started playing a little bit out of school. Then um, 
got involved. I spent a lot of my, a lot of my youth down at the the old BAI, which has been the Birmingham Sports Centre, which is no longer now, which is probably one of the the better basketball facilities that we had at the time in the city. Um, the guy down there, um, another another Bullets player down there, Neville Hopkins was the was the coach there, and he kind of mentored me through um, until. It was one Saturday morning, we finished a session, um, and there was a group of kids on the corresponding court um, with no coach that turned up. Um, and I'd have probably been early 20s at this stage. Um, you know, I, I recognised I wasn't going to become an elite-level player, um, but I loved the sport, I had a passion for the sport, and, and I'd already kind of got involved yeah. with looking at coaching badges and those kind of things. And, um, and I bumped into somebody on the way out that I knew and said, oh, these kids have got no coach. Would you mind just starting the session off? And so I did. And it was, it was a group of kids that had come through. Um, it was champion coaching at the time. Was the was the scheme. Um, and we took these kids on, and there was um, there were you know I was I was inspired by their enthusiasm and and how hard these kids wanted to work and the respect they showed for someone they didn't know that had just walked in there and and. Asked them to do a few drills, really. Um, that's where I'd gone. Um, and and I, you know, that that group, that was, that was the beginning of my coaching journey, really. I mean, I was, I was, I never looked back from that day. I'd, I'd um, I coached that group. There a number of really talented players in that group: uh, Richard Wellins, um, Wayne Robinson, um, Danny Kerr, bless his soul. You know, um, is no longer with us. Um, and and I had. Three years, I think, with those guys, seen them through, went on to, to other teams within the Bullets Junior Programme. And, and that's what it was, sorry, I probably should have mentioned it. It was the Bullets Under-13 team, I think, at the time. Um, so the next five or six years were just spent around the Bullets Junior Programme, I, I guess learning my trade, Sam as well. So um, that came to an end when the, 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 the Bullets went into liquidation, or, or as they were at the time, when Craig Bowen took over from Harry and, and after a couple of seasons, they, they folded. Um, but I'd got the coaching bug at that stage. Um, and, you know, I think if we fast forward, I was, I was working in a, a banking job at the time and, and you know, as a young guy, I had no real idea where that career was taking me. Didn't enjoy it, but enjoyed the money in my pocket. If I'm being honest on a, on a monthly basis, couldn't spend it for trying. Um, but as that went on, it was, you know, actually, I want to be more productive in my days. I want to be doing, you know, life's too short for me to be doing something that I didn't enjoy and wasn't passionate about doing. Um, and, you know, a number of, number of, of, I guess, community coaching jobs along the way. And then um, I was going away on, on holiday. The one, a, a good friend of mine um, was just going to work on a cruise ship around the Caribbean, Sam. Um, and so there was me and another friend and from the basketball world that said, "Oh, we'll come and we'll come and see you." So we flew out to Miami. We did a a week around the Caribbean on this cruise ship for next to nothing uh, as family members, um, and then I had a week in Miami on the way back. But the guy that I'd gone with, um, a guy named Paul Virgo, um, who's still in the basketball the, the refereeing circuit now here in Birmingham. Um, he was a college lecturer down at North Birmingham College, north of the city. Um, and, and Paul had said, look, we're setting a golf academy up here in the next... Um, they've already got a football academy, naturally, but we're doing this golf academy. 
I said, golf, you know, you're in the middle of, of inner city Birmingham, really. Are you sure you're going to be able to get kids to come to that? He said, well, look, if it doesn't happen, we'll look at a basketball one. Um, and I'll give you a shout. I thought nothing more of it. Um, but sure enough, about three weeks later, he called. He said, look, can we go on the basketball route? Can you, can you come and do some stuff with us? We'll give you 12 hours a week. Um, and that was it. So I put my resignation in the bank the next day. Um, for tw- for a twelve hour a week coaching job, the twelve hour a week coaching job. I I you know you can imagine. Um, I was still living at home at the time, and my dad's an old was an old well was an old fashioned guy when he was alive. But you know, as long as my money's on the table at the end of the month, said you know. But I think your daft giving up a you know, banking. It's a it's a job for life. All, all the old adages as you can imagine, they probably aren't aren't true now. Um, what career is there in sports? Ra ra ra. Um, so, so yeah, went into that, but then managed to pick up, you know, some two, three hour slots a week with other institutions. What, what, one of those, um, was the university of Birmingham. So Pete Mintoft, um, and Pete and I are really good friends. Now. I mean, Pete works at the club now and he's just one of the most outstanding men you could ever wish to meet. Um, but Pete did my, 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 my coaching courses, my level two, um, and he said, look, come and, come and join me down at the university. And they were playing, I think, National League 3 at the time, as, as, as well as the abuse stuff. Um, so I spent my time there just learning a little bit from Pete where we were at. And he said, look, I've got no money to pay you, but there is a, a bursary at the end of the year, 600 quid, that you can use for coach development purposes. Um, so, again, this same friend that was working the cruise ship said, by this stage, landed in Brisbane, and he was living there with his with his partner. Um, so I thought, right, I'm going to kill two birds with one stone here. I, I wrote to the Brisbane Bullets organisation, as they were at the time. I said, look, I'm coming over for the summer. Is there any chance I can just come and, and sit and make notes and watch you guys in action? And the guy was, yeah, of course you can. Come over. So I went, stayed. I got a place to stay with a friend over there. I'd be out the door at half past eight every morning. Go to watch them in their in their in their practice. They train in the morning, as you can imagine. Take a break for lunchtime, and they'd come back and do individuals in the afternoon, um, in the weights room. So, spent yeah, learned so much during that period just by being around that and, and seeing how that worked. Um, came back and then I picked up a job then at Josiah Mason College. So I'd moved on from North Birmingham. Um, Josiah Mason had a really good reputation. Basketball reputation. Herman Herman Wilson had had, had the program beforehand. Um, he finished his stint there, and they needed a replacement. So I went in there again, maybe 14, 15 hours a week. I think managed to build up to on that program. I had some great some great years there. But the college Sam was so supportive, um, both of the player development, but also the coach development side of things. So we managed the first year. We got some funding to take two of the guys back to Australia to work out with this team for the summer. So we did again another eight week stretch back in Brisbane. Um, amazing memories. And I've got some lifetime friends that are made and made there at that, at that time. Um, but to open the kids eyes to, you know, there were two inner city kids, Sean and Wesley to open their eyes to what was out there. Um, just made me realize that, you know what, these kids are being sold short back at home because we can only offer them so much. Um, 
so yeah, so I did that. Then, then again, the college supported us on some links. With we had a really good partnership with a college in Swansea. We got the kids, some of the kids, over to tournaments in in Eindhoven. Uh, they supported us on um, a trip over to Lipscomb University in in Nashville for some summer camp there. Um, and we we spent a week over there with a group of the kids as well. Um, and um, I, you know, I just at that stage it was so far removed from my days in the bank where nine to five, you stood behind a desk. It was it was you know, I had all the enthusiasm and motivation I needed really. Um, and you know, the financials of at that stage didn't didn't really matter to me. Um, you know, I just so enjoyed doing what I was doing. Um, and, you know, as you'll be aware, Sam, the, the I guess the flip of that was, you know, some some mornings you're out the house at half six to get to a seven o'clock morning session, and and you can still be out at quarter past ten at night, finishing off the last session of the, you know, with, with maybe a, a lunchtime session in the school in between. Um, so you know, it wasn't. I was at an age where my body could deal with that, <laughs> and and you know, I, I didn't feel the tiredness. Um, I can assure you that's changed over the years now. <laughs> but, um, but you know, a, alongside that. Um, I was always aware that maybe I needed some, felt I needed some core hours somewhere. Um, and whether it was by luck or judgment, the active sports with the Sport England scheme at the time had come along. Um, and there was a, a job going with Birmingham City Council who were hosting the post 20 hours a week, um, basically to get basketball going in the city, really. The, 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 the Bullets program had closed. There wasn't. There was very, very, very little basketball happening. Um, and one of the weaknesses of the Bullets program, I always thought, anyway, as a youngster growing up, when when I got involved around there, was that unless you kind of made that national league level team, there wasn't a lot underneath that. So, from a participation point of view and development point of view, it was really difficult. Um, so, part of the, the active sports program scheme or plans were let's create a number of sessions around the city where just kids can access locally. And then we'll bring them together once a month on a central venue league basis. Um, and the city had just had this new facility built at Nietzsche's with Sport England funding. So um, the other part of my role and my remit there was, can can you get the centre, uh, if not filled, can you get, can you help us meet Sport England's requirements, which I think at the time were over 50% of peak usage needed to be basketball in that centre. Um so off we went from there, really. Um, you know, we, we placed coaches. There was a little bit, again, there was a little bit of money to pay coaches for a couple of hours a week who would go out and, and promote in certain areas in schools and then set up a, a weekend session, really, at, based in and around the areas. So I think we had six around the city at the time. And was, uh, this, was this under the club banner? Or the club hadn't been formed yet, was it? It hadn't been formed at this stage. This, so this was Birmingham Active Sports. This okay. was 2002, I think, Sam. Um but what I would say is very, very quickly, when we brought these kids together for these once a week central venue leagues, as it was for the first couple of, well, first three or four months, we really quickly recognised that there was some talent there and ability, some, just some kids that needed to play. So what I did, rightly or wrongly, um, I formed a City of Birmingham Active Sports under 13 and under 14 or two squads that, that we put into National League um, and use that kind of the funding that we got for the, 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 there was a set of funding for the elite level kids, as, as it were, I say the elite, the performance-based kids. Um, 
and we use that funny to, money to, to help underpin a National League programme. Now, in the meantime, a um, couple of close, good, good friends of mine, Herm, so Herman Wilson um, and Steve Ellis, who was on the refereeing circuit, as you'll know, for many years. Um, Steve was working as a school sports partnership manager down, at, down the road at Aston. Um, the three of us got together and said, look, can we can we do something about a team and a, 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 some longevity to this? Um, and that was really the the first time we looked at how do we get a little bit of funding to to get things moving. So Steve wrote the bid um, to Sport England, and and we, we got a little bit of money in. Um, and the following season, then we started City of Birmingham Basketball Club, as it was. Um, so that was the that was a starting point there, but. I mean, what I would say, Sam, those central venue leagues quickly turn into weekly central venue leagues. Um, and some of those kids that come through the doors, right, early doors, so uh, in Miles Hessen, um, Kofi Josephs. Um, there was a lot, you know, a, a lot of kids there with um, an appetite for basketball that just needed to be able to play. And it wasn't particularly structured. The coaching wasn't at any great level or anything, but but from a central venue league point of view and letting them express themselves and play, before we knew it, 60, 70 kids every week on across the two courts. Wow. Um and 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 and, and that grew really quickly. And that was um that was really kind of the formation of how we got to, to starting the club. How how when you talk about that sort of that early stage of um you know, setting up CVLs, obviously, you know, for people that don't know, that's a central venue league where you've got, you know, essentially a single venue, which the entire competition will take take place in. When you talk about sort of raising awareness of that, um, recruiting players and teams to come and play in that, so you, you haven't got an empty gym every Saturday or whenever you run it. Like, what was the actual process? Is that a direct result of working with the school support shop partnerships and getting into schools or, or was it something else? When you, when you, if you're trying to, if I was trying to set my own CVL, like what would you say to me uh, if you were giving me advice on how I would go out to uh, recruit players and raise awareness of a, of a CVL? Yeah, no, number of strategies really, Sam, I would suggest there. Um, I found, and, and again, because I had the time to do it, I'd arrange to go and deliver free sessions in schools around the city and do a couple of hours. Can I have your... Yes, I think it was the funding was initially aimed at year sevens and eights. We made it a year a year nine under fourteen central venue because I recognised that it's no point doing anything for one year and then being able to then running out of that, that funding. So we, we was kind of able to grow. We grew the kids into that. Um, so getting out there first of all the face to face stuff and just giving them a the best fun experience you could with a little bit of coaching in the school sessions was 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 kind of the initial point but then it really was getting word out so you know we'd we'd write out to every school we'd obviously use the try to use teachers contacts that that we knew personally because even to this day um getting information through to the right person at school to get to the kids is a can be a real challenge um but you know it was really before the days of social media so there wasn't the opportunity to do some of those things and just show how exciting it it, it could be so the the personal touch certainly worked, and I found, you know, I, I uh, to begin with, I, I did the majority of coaching myself, but I was able to employ maybe, you know, a couple of coaches alongside me that we could send out, and then we got we got the the local sites that had started, so kids from there started to say, actually, you know what, maybe I need to go into the to Nietzsche's now because there's something a little bit more exciting happening there than local sites, and that on occasions that did that was the detriment of the local situations within the schools which was a you know i guess the 
one of the things that that was probably a downside of the success of Nietzsche's. Um, and we had to restart them, but you know they, they soon grew back up again. Um, but it, it was a case of it's word of mouth. Once once kids, it's like anything, isn't it? We had, we had the same problem with our girls program when we, we kind of first launched that. Getting the first few girls through the doors was really difficult. And when you've got, you know, we get even now the amount of we'll get the amount of interest we'll get from parents or girls. Can I come and join your program? It's fine now because we've got a program for them to join. But right from the outset, when they come in on their own. And, you know, you've maybe got a coach working with one kid or two kids for a couple of weeks. That can that can be disheartening if you've not if you're not looking at the bigger picture. But I think, you know, what we try to do now is. Is think on, on the scale of, look, if we don't get kids to the door on week one, it's not the end of the world. You know, it's it's just getting a, a two or three kids to make a commitment to jump on two or three buses to get across the city or get a parent to bring them is a bigger thing than maybe we we kind of give credit for sometimes so it's not always that easy but once you've got an environment and then a little bit of atmosphere in there um and kids going harder to you i think when newer kids come in then it, it kind of grows doesn't it but it's that initial starting point i just think my one bit of advice is give it time give it time and don't expect it to happen straight away yeah you know, you, you say you're at time, but funnily enough, by year two, you know, you're in a situation where you have over 140 attendees to your, to your first club trials. And, uh, you know, from the first year where you had ended under 14 National League, you then had under 13, under 15, under 16, under 18 boys age groups. So, that, I mean, that's, that's growing pretty quickly. Um, you know, what do you attribute that growth to? Do you think it was just a case of there wasn't a lot going on and there was just all this latent sort of, I guess, hunger for it that just wasn't able to be fulfilled because there just wasn't the opportunities for people to play? Yeah, in one respect, we grew too quick, Sam, um, because uh, uh, having a structure in place uh, to manage that initially was really challenging. And, and you know, if, I, if I'm being self-critical and looking back, we probably got six teams that six clubs within a team, six teams within a club. Get the word in right. Um, you know, and, and to align that together and get a consistency across the club it took a long time for that to happen. Um, and in fact, something we're working on, we worked on really, really heavily during lockdown on that. Um, but what, what, can you can you describe in more detail, like what are those growing pains to go from essentially one one team to what five, six uh, within the space of a year? Like what happens? What are the problems with with growing that quickly when you perhaps don't have that infrastructure infrastructure to be able to support it? I think quality of, of staff was the first thing. You know, we had a lot of really amazing willing volunteers um but then we're probably they were probably thrown into a situation that they weren't ready for um you know dealing with dealing with young people and their experiences on that um having the knowledge and ability to take those kids forward uh, i guess would be another one um you know the, the the 140 kids you talked about so that first set of trials that we ran which i think was 2004 um you know, you suddenly got, I don't know, 50 kids coming through the doors at under 30. We used to run it under 13 and 14, under 15, 16 together, and then under 18s. So it's three sessions during the day. Um, you know, you're suddenly in the first session, you've got 40 odd kids come through the door. It's like, oh, wow. Okay, didn't expect this. 15, 16s, 60 kids walk through the door. It's like, oh my goodness, how do we, how do we cope with this? You know, we've only got two coaches on. Um, and then under 18 has come through the door and you've got another 40 kids there. And then I think it was at that point then you recognise actually there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a market for this, there's a demand for it. 
these kids want to play. And and Sam, from every background around the city as well, and that's always been one of the things synonymous with the club. The the um, the, you know, we we like to represent the city's uh, population and communities. Um, and then even to this day, you know, we we got representation from so many different uh, different communities across the city. But going going back to to those numbers and the growth, it you know, one of the hardest things um, we always found was what happens to those kids that at the trials don't make don't make teams. Um, you know, and we've we did our best. We tried to direct them into our central venue leagues or our community sessions. Um, but of course, you've got you've got kids that go away disappointed. They're, they're, they've come to a trial, and their goal and ambition is to make a squad. And we've sent them away unhappy, really. And and that was one of the things over the years that um, we tried. And I think I think we've done. Um, you know, I think I think we've managed to do a better job on that. But uh, initially, in those those early years. Um, catering for all the kids that came through the doors was challenging. So, you know, you've got, you might break your squads down. You might pick 15 kids at each squad to start with. So those those six squads become 90 kids. Um, and and the, one of the, so the growing pains there were just, from my perspective, trying to coach one of the teams myself, trying to maybe assist with another to help a young coach along the way and keeping an eye on what was going on with the other four groups is um, not impossible, really. Um, you know, and, and it took up a lot of time, um, which I loved. Um, but but actually trying to develop the staff at the same time was something I probably didn't do as a, a great job on looking back now. Um, so they were the main pains. And, and, and then there's the obvious financial challenges. Um, you know, we got a, a broad mix of kids that were, were coming into the, the club from from inner city, from greater Birmingham, you know, from, from all sides and some could afford to pay, some some couldn't. Um, and you're trying to tally that up. And, and again, it was kind of, you know, we, we got there without a great deal of financial planning in the first instance, really. We just kind of followed our nose and and, and went along in the centre. We're very supportive um, in, in, you know, in, in the times where we, we couldn't afford to pay bills on time and we had to delay that. Um, but they helped us along the way on that. Um, but the, the finances, I mean, that's obviously a, 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 a big, big challenge. And that's one of the, the things with Birmingham because you've got such diverse communities. And to work to, to put together a, a pricing plan that works for everybody can, you know, whether it's monthly payments or sessional payments, who we can support with bursaries um, is, 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 you know, it's a, it's a tricky one, really, because we also know now um, that we have to plan effectively if we're going to have a future. Um, and we can't be reliant on, you know, grant support or, or sponsorship. We, you know, how, how do we diversify our income really and our revenue streams is, is something we've been looking at, you know, more recently. Really, I do. I do want to talk about the sort of financial modelling, um, but just br- briefly before we, before we do. Obviously, at this point in the club, you know, you weren't full time uh, on purely uh, the city of Birmingham. You obviously had your job uh, with the council. Um, a question like was the city of Birmingham club sort of did that fall under your role with the council so you're kind of allowed to you're able to double up it's not like it's a completely separate job like as if you're in banking and it's like nine to five this is what you're doing then afterwards you're allowed to do the club was it did it kind of was that what allowed you to balance the two because it kind of fitted into both roles yeah absolutely I, I, I've 
obviously formed the club through my role there with the council. So the Active Sports Partnership um, role was a four-year short-term contract. At the end of that, then, the council kept me on in a... Uh, for a year or two, really, with, with no particular remit. So it was basketball-specific, so I could carry on delivering the club and looking at other basketball projects through that role. And then as time went on, it became a... Uh, club development role I think as we went on on a community development role um, the club kind of always fell under the, those remits so I was able to, to ensure anyway that at least parts of the club were serviced through my time um, in that role but you know as you can imagine as that grew and by the, I think the time we got to 2008-9 we were probably hitting 10 teams um, and and we've seen 100 kids a week on you know on the community program um that at that point there the the infrastructure we got in the club wasn't with with i guess me overseeing virtually everything it, it wasn't sufficient for what we had um so i was very fortunate in the roles that i that i'd got they did allow me some time to work on the club um but it, it certainly wasn't full-time work and it, and it kind of got to a point where we felt you know we've gone as far as we can here as a as a voluntary organization um you know we need we need to look towards the future as to you know what happens when if i wasn't around for any reason or if any of the other key staff or key volunteers weren't around how do we make sure there's some longevity to this uh, at what point was it that then you were able to go full-time on the club so that came through, Sam, in around, believe it or not, it was it was 2015 before I was officially full-time. Um, and I was working full-time hours for a, a long time on it. But it was, we, we, uh, we, we went, um, well, we formed a community interest company in 2013. Um, that's, that's Kirk, who, who had, by the time I'd, I'd managed to, I'd managed to drag Kirk in as a, as a coach initially, um, so his son Jordan played for played for me for a, a couple of about two or three seasons. Um, I'd known Kurt from the circuit from playing when I was younger, um, and managed to drag him in as a coach in the first instance. Um, Kirk then was working on um, well, basically gun and gun and gangs crime work across Birmingham, and and it was a, you know was the major player in in the mediation process with the with the police he was working with at the time kirk gave us some sponsorship so he'd sponsored all the kits and and we were able to buy new sets of kits across the club um but he also had a real interest in not just the basketball side of things but he recognized maybe that by being at the club what it did for the kids so you know the just just that sense of belonging that environment family environment, um, the support, the informal mentoring that the kids were getting, uh, educational support at some some stage. Um, and Kirk at that point was really keen to get involved as a board member. Um, so we threw him in as chair of the board, really from, from, from that point. Um, so fast forward then maybe a year or two, um, we, again, Kirk had recognised the growth of the club that we'd gone as far as we could on a voluntary basis. And, and, my my role with the council was kind of nearing its end. The, the austerity, austerity measures were beginning to kick in. So I knew that was, was going to be over soon. Um, 
Kurt said, well, you know, what we'll do. And there's another guy, Bill Heaps, who, who, who was initially one of our, our forming directors at the outset, the three of us. They said, well, look, well, let's, let's, let's pay Rob a part-time salary, as it was to begin with, and, and, and let him crack on and dedicate some time to club activity. Um, and, and, you know, fortunately, being able to spend more time on it and, and really enabled... I guess a little bit more planning to take place, a little bit more long-term thinking, a bit more strategy. Um, and by then we managed to attract, you know, there's a couple of fabulous guys. There's a guy called Roger Telfair, um, who's now a director of the club, but Roger used to sponsor us year on year and just make a, a donation. Didn't want any credit for it. Just, just saw the good that it did for young people. Um, and I guess we've, you know, we've, we've nuggets of investment and, and, into the club like that, it just then put us on a little bit more of a, a, a level footing from a financial point of view. We've got schools that have started to ask us about, oh, can you send a coach in for a couple of hours? Um, before we'd known it, we were in 25 schools a week, um, you know, sending out coaches for probably delivering 35, 40 hours. Um, that in itself needs managing and there's some, you know, there's a, there's a number of things, quality assurance that needs to take place on that as well as anything um, and 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 I, I guess we just looked a little bit more stable, and it was 2015. Um, and and the guy said, "Look, let's 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 make this a full time role now, and see if we can push things on a bit further." When you switched to full time, do you think that that did allow you to push things further in terms of when you look at the revenues of the club, uh, its growth? Do you think that directly coincided with the fact that? You know, all of a sudden you've got one person that's really trying to drive things forward and then because of the extra money that's maybe able to come in as a result of that, you'll then be able to provide more opportunities for more coaches to be able to sort of, you know, grow that uh, local basketball economy. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, you know, the being able to dedicate your whole time to something is, is there's no doubt about that, about it has, has made, I guess, has been, enabled me just to push things on a little bit a little bit more Sam and become a bit focused and you know there's a number of things that I knew we had to do you know we we uh I said I said a couple of times already uh our growth had had overtaken our structure so you know as a voluntary organization trying to deliver what we were doing with um you know we, we played out we played out a local authority center but you know there's there's not local authority financial support or anything like that there um Sorry, Sam, I thought I lost you for a moment. Um, so, so, you know, we're kind of running solo, really, and, and, and trying to almost find our own way through the dark as to, to how we got there and living year by year, hand, you know, hand to mouth in terms of the, of the finances. And that was something that needed to change, recognise that straight away. But I didn't want that to impact upon our members heavily, um, you know, and, and, and stop kids playing because the cost is too much. But at the same time, you know, we've got to have a, a more organised model really moving forward and, and take a bit of stock and recognise what we've got. And that help, that's helped with funders, really, in terms of, you know, our, our, our activity, community activity is huge. So, you know, with, be fair to say now, with, with our, our performance programme, our national league teams and, and things that happen at Nietzsche's, along with our community programme, we, we, we're now getting to probably, you know, pre-lot, pre-COVID, um, on average, about 800 kids, kids a week across the city. Um, now some of that might be in school settings, community settings, or at our base. 
Um, but that's a pretty big reach. Um, and, and I think sometimes we, you know, as a and basketball is pretty good at this, we don't we don't sell what we do enough. Um, and we don't shout loudly enough about what we do. Now, obviously, the the, the coinciding factor is not just not long after I'd been made full time. We started to just look at what a board might look like and, and trying to get some governance in place um, was the arrival of a team then as well, which obviously that, that, that really helped us focus um focus our minds really on where we wanted to take this because then there was a there was a realism that actually you've got somebody this good saying how good we are the confidence that builds within you um you know it was, was was huge um and that obviously opened up then a lot of other avenues that that we've been down since um you know so so absolutely you know working on it full time um Simple things like phone calls and tapping into people, some taking visits to other clubs. You know, I spent some time with Joe at Manchester just seeing how they go about their business, getting the feedback there. Um, you know, having the freedom in the daytime to, to pick up a phone for an hour or two just to discuss and chew ideas over um, was immense. And, you know, we've had over the years, we've had some some great guys at the club. That, you know, Dougie spent a lot of time with us and we're still really good friends now. He's still a really big supporter of, of the club, but tapping into his knowledge and experience um and then the other thing for me really i suppose along the way has been and i, and I talked earlier about the international stuff um was that recognition that the sport the sport's done a lot better in other parts of the world um and, and yes there are differences in in how operations need to work but there's lots we can learn from those so some really good connections we've made along the way there's a, there's a, a swedish connection which started through a some work at the city council, but then turned into a basketball club connection. Um, we've recent, well, the last couple of years, I had a really, a really strong relationship with um, Alicante, HLA Alicante, or in Lead Gold in, um, in in Spain, um, and just being able to spend spend my daytime on occasions talking to those guys or visiting um, that opens your eyes maybe to where things could go. When you talk about the the financial modelling of of the club and how how actually everything is financed, how you're able to take a salary, kind of what is it? What are the revenue streams at the moment? Like uh, how how does it actually work? Okay, so um, our, rev, our, our our financial growth has 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 gone through the roof as you can imagine in the last five years, mainly down to the community arm. So you know the if. Right now, our, our, our team stuff, our national league structure, Sam, um, we have to underpin that with external funds. So, you know, the memberships and subscriptions that we charge for that certainly don't cover the costs. So, if I was to tell you that, you know, our, our facility hire costs for the year um, will range between just under forty thousand to about forty-five thousand, dependent upon upon year. So there's a huge resource there that that that, that goes out. Um, you know, we've been we've been able and, and really fortunate in in recent times. We had a a, a, really, a successful funding bid with the HS2 community scheme, so that was able to deliver a, a reasonably big project across to schools in Nietzsche's and the local community and those that were affected. Or in, I think they were in three miles of the of classes in three miles of the HS2 line. Um, so HS2, that, HS2 is the, the high speed uh, train speed, line. 
yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's a there's a there's a station going to be based down at Curzon Street, city centre. So the HS2 scheme was, well, the community scheme was was a funding pot that was available for for those um, I guess affected within three miles of the line. So where we were based in Neitzels, our, our base there came within that that perimeter, um, and we put a project on where we would deliver. What have we got? We got three coach, or we did have three coaches on that, delivering up to 24 hours a week of in-school coaching. Um, so again, we were able to utilise some of their time back into administration of the clubs and support of the club, um, and topped topped some of their salaries up um, with some you know, sponsorship funding that we'd we'd received from elsewhere to to enable them to really work a little bit more on the club. So although they're their focus was the community work within the within the remit. Um, we were finding we were picking other work up off the back of that as well in schools. So again, we got coaches then at aligned time to the project that we could then send out to other schools as well. So um, you know, we we still right now our, our turnover for the past eighteen months. Um, you know, only only around twenty five to thirty percent of that is covered from the subscriptions that we bring from memberships and. You know, again, like I said earlier, we are very keen that um, we, we, we keep playing affordable to the players. But it's been through a number of projects that we've delivered where we could employ administrators or coaches that we've been able to grow the staff and grow salaries. So, um, you know, I think the one thing that was a bugbear for a while with a lot of funders was that they'd fund projects, but they wouldn't fund administration of them. You know, so who's going to do all, who's going to pick up? All of that admin. Who's going to who's going to complete portals and registers and reports for you? Because that's not fund. You know that's not covered in funding. Um, you know. So as as time has grown, I think funders have got better with that. Um, you know, and we've we've been able to. So a lot of the funding that we've attracted, we've been able to sideline some administrational funds for that that have helped supplement salaries. So when you talk about the 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 breakdown, so if you've got twenty five to thirty percent is coming uh, directly from you know player subs, uh, that that seventy seventy five percent. What's the breakdown between you know like commercial revenues, I guess sort of private donations, uh, and then uh, I assume like funding funding pots, like public funding pots that you can apply for, and I guess any, anything else that that I've missed. Yeah, so some splits there really. I mean. Um... Donations and sponsors, commercial sponsorships. You know, we, we've that's an area that we're really working on at the moment to try and increase. Um, you know, you may say that that probably down at maybe fifteen, twenty percent. Sam, I'd say at the moment on that. Um, you know, public funds and 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 applications maybe twenty five, thirty percent on on that. Obviously, what we have done is taken on. We've got um, the the we have an academy down at Soli Hall that that creates some of that. So now community income. Again, generates around 20-25%. Um, you know, the the one of the the reasons you know we, we went into the international summer camp um, with a keen want to create an amazing product, but we were hoping that that might generate some revenue. But in all honesty, um, very very minor what we make off that. But one of the reasons for that is that we've you know we've always employed a high number of staff to give a real quality experience to the kids. Um, so we probably shot ourselves in the foot there a little bit from a generating revenue point of view, um, but the camps have been, you know, they've been an inspirational thing, and they're the, probably the best thing we tend to do each year. Um, but you know, there's there's areas around there that we just we need to look at in our camp program whether we can expand that moving forward. I think that would 
that would certainly help us. Do you have uh, other full-time employees outside of yourself? Yeah, we do. So um, we've got um, two of our coaches, uh, sorry, one of our coaches, so R- R- Ricardo um, is our Ricardo, we initially employed through some funding um, that we'd received last year as a kind of media type guy, uh, media marketing guy on a, on a part-time contract. And um, he was also coaching for us on a, a voluntary basis, um, but probably working about 70 hours a week and getting paid for about 10 in all honesty. So it was an amazing resource. Um, we've very recently over the summer, so... Um, an old friend of mine who's a head um, down at an academy trust in the city centre um, really sees and, and understood the value that sport can have on, on young people's lives. We'd spoken over a period of time about um, what could we do with the club and how could that work and could we get a coaching. Well, they finally managed to secure their funds to get – so we, he basically works in a high school for 20 hours a week for us. So he's based purely in, in one high school and then does our – marketing and media in the, the other hours. Um, so he's a full-timer for us. Um, Pete Mintoft, um, I mentioned, he's over at Solihull Hull Academy. Um, and then he kind of oversees the rest of the community program, coach development. So he's a full-timer. So um, it's the, the three of us on full-time. And then we've got, at the moment, uh, what, another, another three part-timers as well. How much scope do you think there is for growth compared to, to where you are now? Um, and where you could be when you talk about the sort of the size and scale of Birmingham, uh, do you think there is a lot of room for you to be able to expand uh, a lot further than you you already have done? Yeah, I think a lot of that comes down to revenue streams again, Sam. Um, there's no doubt about that. There's an appetite for the sport across the city. Um, I'm convinced of that. Um, what it is really about is giving a quality product and experience, um, you know, to anybody. So. You know, the, 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 I guess one of the challenges we have is how can you find a quality coach to go to a school if the school is saying, well, we'll have them for one hour a week and we'll pay you £25. You know, now, obviously, from our perspective, then we've got to take a little, you know, we have to take our administration thing out of that and we're paying the coach what really amounts to, to by the time they've, they've, they've kind of travelled and, and gone home, they're probably doing two, two hours' work for, you know, for a very small amount of money. Um, so we... We're looking at that as a business model right now. How does that work and is that right for us moving forward? Um, I think you know, revenue streams, like I said, there's, there's lots of, there are lots of avenues that we know we've got to do a better job on and we've got to explore more. And the commercial side of that is one. And, and hopefully the, the facility renovation may, may bring some opportunities around that. Um, you know, I think it will always be, we're always going to have to recognise that we're always going to need some full-timers, but some part-timers and still a volunteer workforce as well. There's always going to be an element of that. Um, but I do you know, I do think um, there's opportunity for growth, certainly. There's areas we you know, we haven't explored yet. We're, we're just really at our infancy of, of the female side of the programme and trying to get that moving. Um, there's, there's, there's areas around our mini basketball programme. We think we could engage a lot more kids around that. Um, and obviously at the senior end, as things move forward, you know, we're hoping you know, we'll be able to get an audience or, or spectators through the doors at some stage that, that may generate a revenue there as well, Sam. So there's lots of potential there. Piecing that all together is another another piece of work. Um, but, you know, we, we, we're confident of making it happen. We, 
we really do feel that the sport is in um is in one say a good place in the city, but there's a lot of positivity around around the kids and around the some of the community that, that we have coming through the doors. Uh, and I see other clubs around the city. Um, there's a lot of really good stuff going on. How optimistic are you uh, of the Commonwealth Games having having an impact? You know, we, we've always in the run up to these things. You know, London 2012 being the most obvious example. Of we hear about kind of legacy and the impact it's going to have, and it's going to get drive all these new 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 people new faces into basketball that weren't there before. Do you feel like realistically? Do you think that the Commonwealth Games could have any type of impact like that? Do you feel like it's going to have any impact like that? Do you, as you, you as a club, are you planning um, for a sort of bigger influx of kids potentially after after the Commonwealth Games, or do you think it's just going to be an event that sort of comes and goes uh, and doesn't really change things when you're talking about the sort of the long term landscape of the sport in the sea? Well, I hope it's the former. I hope, you know, I hope it. Um, you know, having having worked and. and been involved in the promotional event when they announced the the, the venue down at, uh, at Smithfield on the old wholesale market site. There was a real buzz around that day. Great city centre venue, very accessible to people from the city. Um, and I think that kind of fan park area they're going to have there with the with the basketball arena next to it has got some real potential. Now, of course, the other benefits of the city there you've got Miles Hessen. And we've got Kofi Joseph. So Kofi's done a lot of work, you know, around the media side of that as well. Um, hopefully, those two guys might be in contention to being in in the team, which I think again will generate a real local interest and attraction. Um, Rianne Bailey came down to again. She's a she's a, a, a local girl, and and did from the female side of things as well. So we've got, I, I guess, a real good starting point there. We're 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 in, obviously. In, regular communications with the Commonwealth Games organisers about how we can help in the promotion moving forward and align, you know, align as, as a local club aligned to, to that brand. Um, you know, w- will it generate more through the doors? We really hope so. Some t- time will tell on that, I think. I think what 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 the Commonwealth Games guys recognise that they need to do is ensure the Games get to local communities. And it's not just something that's, I guess, dropped into Birmingham and then pulled out i think the important thing there is that local communities feel part of the games um and they have started a campaign recently a hometown heroes campaign of which one of our own guys ricardo who mentioned was the was i guess the, the first guy on that list so his, his face has gone into certain local communities just about a, an unsung hero type, type guy that's, that, that goes above and beyond um the expectation to to support young people in, in local sport, so I think it has to it has to reach local communities for them to feel part of the Commonwealth Games and, and everything that happens. And I really hope it does that. I think basketball's got a real good chance with it being with it being based where it's based. It's it's so accessible just down from the ball ring shopping centre, US centre based. So as long as that's accessible for people to go into maybe the fan park that's alongside there and and get tickets for games as well, obviously. Um, you know, then that might pr- pr- provide the, I guess the the boost that we all want, um, and 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 generate more players. But you know, there's a, as I said, there's a lot of kids that play at school across the city, anyway. Um, one of the challenges as with all that all clubs have is making getting kids to make that transition from, from school to club. One hundred percent. I'm aware of time. Uh, I know you've got to shoot. Um, 
yeah, that was super insightful. I would love to do a catch-up after the facility is done, maybe uh, close to the Commonwealth Games as well, maybe after the Commonwealth Games, see how it, see how it's all panned out compared to sort of this conversation as we look ahead. Um, but yeah, I wish you all the best with it, and uh, hopefully we will catch up soon. No, really appreciate it. Thanks for your time, Sam. Psst. Hey, podcast listener. But you weren't expecting to hear from me again. Now that you've listened to the show, please take two seconds to take your podcast player out of your pocket and give us a rating and review on iTunes. It would be massively appreciated and goes a long way in helping us spread this content far and wide. Literally take your phone out of your pocket right now, uh, open up your podcast player, go to the Hoops Fix podcast, you'll see the option to leave a rating and review. Drop us a five star if you love it. And uh, if you could take two seconds just to write a review as well, it would be massively, massively appreciated. Thank you and speak to you next week. You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more.